If hearing this episode is distressing for you, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. through something extraordinary have you ever lived through a time where everybody says yes where everybody does their best and and is just falling over themselves to do more across australia you know, that that positive human energy was very special Professor Fiona Wood, a world-leading burn specialist and reconstructive surgeon, capturing the light that shone through during the initial shockwaves of one of our darkest chapters. Back in 2002, it was a standard weekend in October until it wasn't. everywhere. There's an LPG container, there's people dead, there's everything. I was there in Bali the day after the bombings reporting for Network 10 Australia. I'll never forget the shock, the, the grief and the disbelief as I tried to interview people in the streets while they were trying to find their loved ones. Fifteen of them went out, only like nine of them came back. Um, like all of my mum's missing, my godparents. Um, family, friends. How and hard is this wait now? Like this is just like, I don't know, we've, we've come to a halt. I don't know where we're at now, what we're going to do. You obviously want to get home. I want to get home. I promised my brother just I'm going to bring mum home. Back in Australia, reconstructive surgeon Fiona Wood was pulling together an elite medical team who'd fight to save the Bali bombing victims who were about to be flown to Australia for treatment. This was significant injuries in significant numbers. So we knew very early on that we had to action the disaster plan. Messages kept dribbling back and then building in there the noise. And we realised, yes, there is something seriously going on here, something very significant. It was a massive medical evacuation, the scale of which was usually only seen on battlefields. I'm Ali Donaldson, and this is Shockwaves, the Bali bombings. Episode 3, The Carers. In this episode, you'll hear from the lifesavers, those who cared for the victims, and hear how they looked after themselves as the emotional shockwaves from the attack reverberated over the next two decades. You heard about the night of the bombings in our first episode. That night, Bali's biggest medical centre, Sangla Hospital, was overwhelmed, ill-equipped and struggling to keep up with the injured and the bodies. I filed this report 20 years ago. Friends and family continue their pilgrimage to the morgue, bringing with them anything that will help prove their identity. Crudely made coffins have begun piling up outside the poorly ventilated building. Refrigerator units adorned with flowers are also being brought... Two decades on, I went back to the hospital to catch up with some of the medicos who were there in the immediate aftermath. I met Budi Asana, who on the night of the bomb was a young ambulance nurse who had just finished a busy night shift. Someone from the hospital called me that I should come to hospital, that there, are, there were many patients 
because of the bomb blast. When he returns, he can barely make it back inside. The emergency department's overflowing with hundreds of victims and the walking wounded, well, they just keep coming. Yeah, mostly they have burns, burn injury, yeah. Uh, most of the patients have a very severe burn injury here. At the time, most we do is give put ivy, give painkiller, and then give blanket to them and change their clothes, yeah. So you were trying to comfort them? So yeah, we try to make them comfort because most of them feel very pain and then uh, what called very cold. Dr. Kutut Ariawati was also there. That night, I was on the watch schedule. I heard the big blows in the night, and I was given the information by someone that there's a bomb going off. I remember that night was many, many injured with broken pieces from the bomb blast. It really surprised me because we had never had anything like this happen before. Incredibly, Fiona's team back in Australia had just completed training for such a disaster. Now our story around Bali starts with what we call Exercise Icarus. Oil and gas producer Woodside Energy had approached Fiona's team in the wake of the world's worst oil rig explosion, the Piper Alpha disaster. How would we respond to a major disaster, both onshore or offshore, of requiring burn care? Then. We developed the plan with all our colleagues across Australia and New Zealand, and we put that plan to the Australian uh, Health Minister's Advisory Council for their approval in July. They approved it in August. And what we didn't appreciate, that we'd be doing it for real come October. But the Bali atrocity would test them beyond all their training. Often in burn injury, it's, they can be small, a hand, uh, uh, an arm, or it can be devastating and associated with... Uh, loss of survival. You can't survive some of the major burn injuries. One of the really interesting things was how it was complicated by the blast injury. So yes, we were seeing burn injuries and we're all burn surgeons and burn uh, therapists and burn nurses. So we were very focused on that, but we had to have our blinkers off and be aware of the blast injury that may affect the lungs or the other tissues. And so it was complicated because of the explosion and other injuries, shrapnel and things like that. So Fiona, how soon after you started hearing about it did you start receiving the first patients here on Australian soil? Our first patients arrived early Monday morning. We started and the, we plan, put the start of the action in the plan and we are in the emergency and receiving patients. I can see them, their faces in front of my eyes now. I can see the relief. Yeah, we're home, we're here. I remember little bits and pieces throughout the next three weeks particularly how yeah, the German boys, one of them was 21, and uh, whilst they were here, and yeah, the Sydney policeman, the triathlete from Busselton, who went on to beat me soundly some years later, who wasn't sure she would ever be able to compete again, and, and the youngest, uh, you know, was only 14, and, and so on it went, and the bravery and this, the stoicism and the energy that bound them together was palpable. And did they come to hospitals here in WA or did they go all around the country? Tell us what that triage system was. There was a, a sort of a complex triage system that uh, involved uh, the military, the Hercules, the, so the reservists going to retrieve, involved other care flight type retrieval systems uh, and, and commercial. 
uh, flights and the private flights. You know, lots of people coming back that came either directly through to us, uh, through Darwin, of course, because the triage uh, plan in Darwin is exceptional, the team there, but they don't have a burn service. So that was a, a, a sort of part of the plan as well, where uh, our patients were stabilised and then allocated to Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia. The number of people they were treating was staggering. Dr Fiona Wood explains. I think from a major burns perspective, we had uh, well over 50 major burns patients requiring hospitalisation in a burns unit. Yeah, it was pretty intense from a therapy perspective in the early few days with surgery uh, starting on the Wednesday and the, we did multiple surgical procedures with a huge number of surgeons who volunteered and nurses, etc. So you're taking care of not just the patients, you're taking care of your teams as well in there. Well, what is it that drives you? I mean, you must have had sleepless days, weeks. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Looking after yourself is really important. Eating well, sleeping well, and making sure that the only person in the hospital overnight is the one on call. The first person in, I was trying to make sure it was me, to make sure nobody was coming in before they needed to be there. Making sure that we all did the ward rounds in the beginning, did the operations of the day, ward rounds at the end, and make sure then everybody's comfortable and home. Exercise where you can. You know, make sure you look after yourself. Fiona's team was buoyed, though, by the response on the ground in Bali. The message just coming back from Bali was of an extraordinary outpouring of human energy. People helping, people looking after strangers left and right, people helping others to look for others. You know, there was an enormous amount of human energy that was incredibly positive in response to such a profound negative. Ty's born in pain that night would strengthen into so much more. And facing her biggest challenge, Dr Wood pushed a major breakthrough with her spray-on skin, which she started developing in 1985 in the south of England, and it would prove invaluable in treating the Bali survivors. If you imagine a bread and butter sandwich, the skin in layers, and so what we want is we want the butter. So we put in an enzyme that allows the two pieces of bread to be separated. And then the surgeon scrapes the, the butter off the bread and then harvest those cells in a suspension. We put it through a filter, and then we, uh, we pull it up into a syringe, a standard hospital syringe, five mils. If we put it in two mils, it, we can kill everything because the pressure on the cells is too great. We were using cells as suspension in the fluid because we could do this quicker, and we could do it in five days, to, well, rather than 10 days or 21 days. So it was all about speed, getting the, the wounds closed as soon as we could and then how to deliver it. And then we worked out we could deliver as a spray. And then how to actually close down the time even further. We took the basic techniques to the bedside, into the operating theatre, so we could harvest the cells and immediately deliver them back onto the wound. And we're still researching, we're still researching now how to develop a three-dimensional printed solution to our skin. Fiona would receive top accolades for her work with burns victims. Australian of the Year for 2005 is Dr Fiona Wood. Dr Fiona Wood was honoured for the second time for her inspirational work with countless burns victims. But despite her achievements, she was almost lost for words when accepting the award. A little bit daunted, very overwhelmed. I think it's uh, 
it's just incredible that people have, got, have done this and supported me in the way they have. The collaborative work between Aussie and Indonesian hospitals also created a really strong bond between our two countries. Dr. Katut explains. Some of the nurses and doctors from here in Sangla Hospital have been sent to Darwin Hospital and Adelaide Hospital to learn all about emergency status. Budi was one of them. The situation changed uh, my life very much. At the time I was an uh, intermediate nurse and then after the bomb blast, uh, the Australian government sent me to the Royal Darwin Hospital to learn about trauma, to learn about emergency. He completed his Master's in Emergency Nursing at Adelaide University, learning disaster management planning, triaging mass casualties. It's expertise that would help in an upcoming pandemic. While he was learning, another vital line in the fight on terror was opening up funding. A year after the attack, I returned to Bali to cover the first anniversary and I went to see the new specialist treatment centre taking shape. And then there's the dollars and cents. Around $10 million has been donated through the Australian government arm of AusAid to build this state-of-the-art burns unit at Sanglar Hospital. And this is what it looks like today. The basic facilities where so many fought for their lives now have a specialty burns unit and ICU. Returning this year, I saw a new generation of highly trained doctors and nurses working in the facility the 12 October Australian Memorial Centre. It's a gift from the Australian people to the people of Indonesia and it became vitally important during the pandemic. And who would have thought back then how important the improved specialty management training would be in their fight against COVID? There are many things that I got when uh, during I visit Australia and take my master. I used to, uh, to manage the COVID for example, like escalation plan and then hospital disaster plan, it's very useful for me to, uh, to manage uh, the COVID situation. Budi now runs Sangler Hospital's emergency department. Dr Katut is the hospital's director of medical support and is keen to keep their bond with Australia. Our hope here in Sangler Hospital is the cooperation between the Darwin Hospital and Adelaide Hospital we can keep in touch together with all the knowledge and all the experience we can learn from them. We can serve the community from Indonesia and Australia with the same standards because we've learned from doctors and nurses in Australia as well. Saving lives took expertise and ingenuity, including Fiona's pioneering spray-on skin. But what I really want to ask her about is what it took to survive emotionally. How do you handle acute trauma? Yeah, I always say keep something of the best of you for those who care most for you because they're the ones that will be there at your side, you know? And so we weren't 24-7, 24-7, 24-7 until <laughs> like we fell in a heap. You know, it was, no, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We know we, are, we have limited resources, but we have an enormous um, uh, capacity because of the outpouring of goodwill, the, the volunteering, the, the buddy systems that we developed, the strategies to actually respond. Fiona's job was already extremely demanding. She's the Director of Burn Service of Western Australia and she's a very busy mum. I've been very fortunate. I have six children. I have uh, two girls and four boys. Uh, 
My eldest was a finish in year 12 at the time of the Bali bombing, so it was pretty intense for him at that time. I caught up with Fiona in her hometown of Perth, Western Australia, at her favourite place, City Beach. The waves have been therapeutic for so many. And during that time when you were dealing with the tragedy of Bali, why was this place important to you? I think it's really important uh, that we look after ourselves. I mean, we see suffering in uh, the area I work on all too often. And at Bali, that was certainly amplified and extreme. And so looking after each other, looking after yourself is important. And the beach for me is that sort of place. It was where you came to exhale? Yeah, standing here now, you know, standing here then, and I, I hope into the future, I just look out there and breathe and think, yeah, we could keep going. Talking to Fiona today, there's an incredible softness to her, but there's also this amazing strength. And I think that's what makes her such an effective leader. It's her humanity. But what about her? If I'm brutally honest, I found it increasingly difficult to talk about this as the years have ticked by. And I've come to understand that I do carry a level of vicarious trauma. Yeah. Uh, not just from this event, but from many of the faces I can see marching in front of my eyes right now. I think it's, it's for me, being a surgeon is something I've never taken for granted, that someone will give consent for me to look after them and my colleagues to look after them, uh, that individual at their most vulnerable, absolutely the ultimate vulnerable under general anaesthetic. Yeah, I, it's quite an extraordinary relationship. I have, to, I have to work hard to justify that trust in me, that faith in me, that, that privilege that I have as a surgeon. I feel, and I've never lost that, I guess, that's my coping strategy is to make sure tomorrow we're able to learn from today and make tomorrow better. And so, on the 20th anniversary of the Bali bombings, where will Booty and Fiona be? What will they be thinking? What will they do? Usually I try to contact some of my friends in the Royal Dead Hospital and Adelaide. Uh, they're only not my friend, they're also my teacher, my guru, especially on emergency and uh, disaster. They're your gurus? Yeah, they're, they're guru. I think all of us, as we step back from look down the tunnel of time of 20 years, just spare a thought for those people who've lived those 20 years without their loved ones, without seeing them grow, without holding the children they may have had. And then to give another thought for all what's happening around the world. And I'm a great believer in each and every one of us working towards a society that we're proud of based on the integrity of each and every one of us, not abdicating to intellect of the few, not abdicating to people who make decisions to go to war or make decisions to cause such terror that we all need to stand up maybe and be counted. And in doing that, maybe we will have a society, communities that we're proud to hand on to our kids and our grandkids. Really beautiful. <sighs>
In the next episode of Shockwaves, the Bali bombings, healings, when to step up, and just as importantly, when to step back, and what you can learn from those who have survived the unthinkable. The husband that I married six years prior died that night because he didn't come home the same person. You know, obviously seven um, friends died, two, you know, super, really, really close friends, but a part of Simon also died that night as well. Shockwaves, the Bali bombings, is a co-production between Network 10 and Listener. Hosted, written, researched and produced by me, Ali Donaldson. Script editing by Jennifer Goggin and Jake Morecambe. Sound design and audio production by Dave Stein. Audio recordists, Owen Wynn, Ben Patrick, Nathan Hill, Jake Staunton and Carl Carousella. Ali Aitken is the podcast content partnership manager for Network 10 Melanie Withnall is Head of News and Information at Listener. If hearing this episode is distressing for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14.